The Holy Gospel according to John chapter 6. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and Livy Steffens, our Director of Children's Ministries, is going to do the... Thank you, Livy. I have a real hard time doing <coughs> children's time when I don't have children with me to talk to. I end up talking to the adults and So thank you again. On Monday in Holy Week this year, my mentor in ministry, John Cochran, died. I mention that today because it was as a result of hearing a sermon that he preached on this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he became my mentor. And this took place at a vigil of Easter Many years ago, he was my mentor for over 50 years. It was the first time I participated in a vigil of Easter. I was 18 on spring break from college, and I went to this congregation in South Philadelphia, Emmanuel, that had a building that was built by Germans in 1865. It seated 800 people, and it had a steeple that was 220 feet tall. In 1967, it was in the middle of a public housing project and was deeply involved in that community. 
The ministry prominently displayed and promoted baptism, and the vigil of Easter was at the heart of that traditional emphasis. Their vigil included four Old Testament stories that tied to baptism and that were tied to baptism and that were read with the church in darkness. We read about creation, we read the story of the Exodus, the story of Noah's flood, and then this story of the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The imagery was stark. The room was darkened for the readings. The readers had only a candle on either side of the lectern and the paschal candle that was in front of them. There were no other lights. But then after the readings ended, the lights went up partially and there were noisy baptisms for 30 adults and children in the back of the church. And once they were completed, there was water everywhere back there. Then the lights went on, we sang glory to God in the highest, and there was a sermon that tied Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's experience to baptism. The worst thing that can happen to us has already happened. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Essentially, it was that frequent biblical refrain that we heard in today's gospel. Do not be afraid. I had some realistic fears at that time. Would I be able to do this? Would I be able to be successful both academically and professionally? I tell people that my father was the oldest of 12, and I have 64 first cousins. And out of that extended family, no one had gone to college, and no one had a professional job. Could I strike the right balance between challenge and grace as a person and as a pastor? Baptism was not central to the congregation in which I grew up. The font was in a planter and off to the side. I mean, you noticed the plants, you didn't notice the font. Um, There was no teaching about the centrality of baptism And contra Luther, there was little attention to the symbolism of baptism, of dying and rising with Christ, or of being drowned and resuscitated. Little water was used, and sometimes baptisms were outside of Sunday worship. By contrast, the symbolism of death and resurrection was highlighted by the vigil of Easter and referenced in the sermon that night. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were baptized by fire. They died in the furnace and were raised, we were told. We have died in the waters of baptism and will be raised with Christ. Hearing those words was a turning point for me. A linguist in my first congregation taught me that this story is to be read as if it's a children's story, kind of sing-songy when you get to the refrains about the musical instruments and the satraps, prefects, and governors, and so on. Someone at the first service pointed out on the way out that Daniel must have had copy and paste in his papyrus. (laughs) I told them I was going to quote them. It has the elements of stories of the powerless, of standing up for one's belief in God and enduring the consequences bravely, but being rescued by God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jews, a minority. And 
they had to endure the consequences of that. They were considered to be the other, unlike the majority, and therefore ripe for persecution. They worshipped one God, the God of Abraham, not many gods. The parallels to our own time are not difficult to draw. The need to draw distinction between groups seems to keep growing. There's more and more of them versus us, where they are wrong and we are right, and we can't even talk to each other about our differences. Fear is a growth industry today, the result of so much change in the last 20 years. We see it in climate change. The Pacific Northwest has become the fiery furnace and Noah's flood took place in Germany last week. Technology drags us forward and cultural change scares us. So we focus on that and highlight cultural and ethnic divisions and or we deny that any bad things like the Holocaust or climate change happened or are happening and that they could hurt us or be repeated. For many, Daily life lacks the structure, status, and meaning that it once had. Many feel less of a connection to an employer, a labor union, a church, or community groups. Many people have no idea even how to make those connections. People are less likely to be married. They're more likely to endure chronic pain and report being unhappy. And these trends have led to a surge in deaths of despair from drugs, alcohol, and suicide. Other health problems, including diabetes and strokes, have also surged among the working class. Notably, the class differences in life expectancy are starker in the United States than they are in any other wealthy nation. Many people live without a sense of meaning for their lives, a sense of connection to God or to something larger than themselves. There's a way that this biblical story is too neat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't literally die in the furnace as we would expect. We know that the results of religious persecution are rarely so positive. The experience of Jews throughout the ages and of early Christians is that persecution leads to death. Our hope is not even primarily for the present, for rescue from literal death, but for the future, for the resurrection, for life forever with God in Christ. The promise of baptism is that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. As that theologian of the cross, St. Paul, put it in Colossians, we are drowned in baptism and raised with Christ. The worst thing that could happen to us already has. The promise is not that nothing bad will happen to us, but that we are not alone. We are joined to Christ and God's people in baptism. Nothing in this world or out of it can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. There's nothing more essential to our faith as Christians than this symbolism of death and resurrection in baptism and in our lives. It's what sets us apart. The refreshment of swimming or wading in cool water on a hot summer day is a reminder of our baptismal promises, 
A baptismal font should be a real pool or a fountain prominently located to dramatically make the point of the renewal that God gives in baptism. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The disciples' fear in the gospel was realistic for that era. They believed that storms were caused by sea monsters, and sailors died when the monsters came up out of the water and grabbed them out of the boat and dragged them underneath and drowned them. Jesus walking on the water to them looked like more, like one more threat, but then he reassured them, it is I, do not be afraid. Among my heroes are a German couple from the World War II era, Freya and Helmut James von Moltke. Von Moltke had a distinguished lineage. His grandfather was Bismarck's go-to general during the unification of Germany, and his uncle was the army chief of staff during World War I. He was trained as an attorney and was a member of the, of the Army High Command during World War II, from which position he openly opposed Hitler during the war. He was arrested after the army plot to kill Hitler failed, and he was hanged a few months before the war ended. <clears throat> During the months of his imprisonment, he and Freya, aided by a chaplain who smuggled their letters back and forth, kept up a daily correspondence that was recently published. Their earlier correspondence, when he was working in the high command and she was taking care of their children and the family estate, was published about 25 years ago. But at the beginning of the war, they were not religious people, but they became so during the war. Their letters, these last letters, are filled with baptismal hope. They were hoping and praying that Helmut would not be executed, yet at the same time, they acknowledged the likelihood of that result, and they located their hope in Christ and the promise of the resurrection. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that they could not control their destiny. They could only witness to what they believed and trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Christ. That was their part, and that was enough. Do not be afraid. We hear those words from Jesus today, and we can remember them as the promise of baptism, a promise renewed every time we make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, every time we jump in a lake or a step in a stream or a pool or the ocean. For you have died in baptism. The worst thing that could happen already has, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen.